Uh, it's this wonderful time in the morning where we get to gather together and we get to sing to God who has made us. And, and the crazy thing is we know that he hears us. Um, when we sing these words to God, he actually hears us. And, and now we get to open his word, uh, scripture, the Bible, and, and we get to hear from him also. And so we've been working through the book of Acts uh, remember in the New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. To some of you, that's getting repetitive. Uh, to some of you, that's good because the repetitiveness means at least those five books you're going to know the order of by the end of this, right? Uh, you don't know what comes after that, but we'll get there eventually. And uh, so anyway, we're in chapter 20 today. So grab a Bible, grab a phone, something with the Word of God on it, uh, if you'd like, and follow along. We encourage that. Um, we're going to start in verse 17, and by the end of this, we're going to work our way to the end of chapter, uh, chapter 20. Uh, but first, I, I want to do one thing, because I don't think I've done a good job of helping us understand just the general timeline of, what, of what's going on in Paul's life, even up to this point. And so you might remember all the way back in chapter 9 of Acts, uh, Paul, or Saul, as he was going by at the time, uh, was on his way to Damascus, and he was on his way to arrest Christians and to come bring them back and throw them in the prison. And he encounters the risen Christ, uh, and he comes to faith, and he believes, and, he, and so he goes from being a persecutor of Christians to being a Christian who is going to be persecuted himself. Um, and at that point in his life, I don't know if we made this clear, he was about 29 years old. Um, and so from that moment... To our text today, we have traveled with Paul. We have uh, seen his life in the ministry, the good, the bad, uh, the scary things. And do you have any idea how long it's been? What do you think? Weeks? Months? Years? Um, you know, it's one of those things we're not exactly, uh, we haven't made clear here. Well, uh, Paul's been walking with Jesus and ministering to others at this point for 22 years. Uh, and so we've covered 11 chapters, but it's been 22 years of his life. And so uh, at this point now, he's about 51 years old, and, and he has gained much wisdom from both uh, the study of the scriptures and just life experience uh, that he has to share. And I, I want us to understand that so you understand the dynamic that's going on in this, in this passage. And so uh, if you remember last week, he's, he's on a boat and he's sailing, and he goes all introverts and decides, I'm going to go past Ephesus and not talk to anybody. Uh, so I can keep going to Jerusalem. Uh, and, and yet the boat then stops in a town called Miletus, which was a port town not too far from Ephesus. And, and so he's going to send to them and ask for the elders to come out and visit him. Like he changed his mind. He's got energy. I can see people. I should see people. And he sends for them. And so uh, the overwhelming aspect, you know, part of this, this text we're looking at today is this speech that he gives to the elders from Ephesus or the Ephesian elders. So... Um, so, these are his parting words that he is entrusting to the leaders of the church at this point. Uh, and, and, and these are people that he says in verse 25, he never expects to see him again. Uh, and so it's a sad parting goodbye. So let's read, we're just going to read the first uh, five verses to start with. Acts 20, verses uh, 17 through 21. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus... And he called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. 
Now I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. God, would you, would you give us a longing this morning to receive your word, and that we would soak it up in our hearts like a dry sponge might fill with water from a fresh spring, so that we might carry your refreshing word with us from here today, uh, in our hearts and our minds, uh, that we carry it with us. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. And so, 22 years is the total time, but the last three years, Paul has been ministering in Ephesus, uh, and he's been alongside these elders that he is now speaking to. And now, we've used this term elder before, right? Uh, we've seen it before. They established them in churches before they would, uh, Paul would establish them in churches before he would leave. And, and it's translated, even here in this place right here, from this Greek word presbyteros, or presbuteros. Um, and, of course, you hear it in the word, right? Even in the Greek, that's where we get the word Presbyterian. That's part of our church's name, part of our denomination. And, and we have that name because we follow the form or the model of church government uh, that we see in the New Testament here, where each local church um, is not led by one individual, but is led by a plurality of elders. Uh, and so you might call me a, a pastor, and that's fine, that's good, um, but I'm also one of the elders, right? Uh, and, and the group of elders at, at any given church is, is collectively called the session. So if you ever hear, us word, hear that word, the session, it just means the group of elders together. Um, and on our session, I have one vote, uh, just like every other elder, no more, no less. And, uh, and, and so that's the way it's set up. And it's a, it's a form of church government that we see here in Scripture. So um, elders then are, are men who have been identified and trained to be under shepherds. Uh, of God's church, meaning Christ is a shepherd and, and the elders are under shepherds, right? Uh, and you can learn more about these qualifications if it's interesting to you. I think it would be a good idea if you go to First uh, Timothy chapter 3 at some point and just read through that whole section. You can learn more about it. Uh, I'll read you just two verses from that chapter, First Timothy 3 verses 2 and 3, which says, and this is qualifications for elders, um, he must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Um, and so I happen to know some of you are putting those through your head thinking, is that me? Is that me? Uh, you know, and, and right now we have a, what is called a temporary session, uh, meaning we are church plant. And so we have uh, a session that's made up of men that are elders in other churches around the, around Kansas. And they serve and they come in town and um, help us through things and pray for you and uh, they know you way better than you know them, uh, and, and the fact that they, they look at our list and they're praying for you by name and stuff. So uh, Travis and myself are the only two who live here in Manhattan, uh, and God willing, by, uh, we'll switch to a permanent session by the end of this year, and at that point we'll no longer be a church plant, but we'll be a church. See that distinction? Uh, and to do so, we need three local elders to do that, and y'all have recently nominated Tim Durrett. Uh, for that office, and right now he's got this crazy list of questions that he's working through. Um, it is pretty phenomenal, and later on he'll be examined based on, on, on that later. So that's what he has to look forward. You can pray for the Durrits as, uh, as he's working through this. And so now back to the text. I just wanted to give you a little explanation on how that works out in real life, uh, the idea of elders. So uh, in verse 19, Paul says that 
three things have characterized his time in Ephesus. Uh, first, that he served the Lord with all humility, which ironically sounds very prideful, doesn't it? Um, but remember, this is a, he's an older man at this point. He's around 51 years old, which isn't old today, right? Uh, but at that time, it would have been a much older sense. Uh, and, and he's trying to encourage these younger men, you know, follow this, this model. I'm going to tell you how I did it, and, and, and you should too. And, and his point is that, is that there's nothing more disastrous than when pride, prideful people take on places of leadership. Um, and, and so then he's mentioning this, these tears. Paul's explaining that he's been emotionally involved in this. And it's, it's good. It's good for us to be emotionally involved in each other's lives. That, you know, as we realize this is covenant family. Um, it's not just something we, we come to and go. It's covenant family. And, and then finally he mentions this third thing. That, um, the, that he's seen many trials and much opposition. That this has not been an easy thing. Uh, and so now look at verse 20. It says he did not shrink from declaring anything profitable. Profitable. Here's the deal. Uh, there is always a temptation to teach people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. Always. Uh, and Paul says that what he has taught has been profitable for them. Profitable meaning for your gain, right? Uh, and that means teaching the truth of the scriptures, even when they're not popular, even when they're not acceptable by culture or otherwise, um, it's, it's like if you go to your doctor and your doctor, you know, he could say, you're in great health. And you'd be like, great, I love to hear that. I like this doctor. He's awesome. Uh, but it's not really profitable to you if, if it's not true, right? Um, and, and, and so simply put, what, what Paul has taught here is that uh, what they need to hear and not always what they wanted to hear. And so then verse 21, verse 21 is great. I love this. Uh, we see that word testifying, right? Uh, literally means... To give an honest report, uh, to testify, to give an honest report. And so then, what is it that Paul has testified to? In verse 21, we see it, you'll see it. Uh, first, to repentance towards God, and second, uh, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, faith and, and repentance. Now, it's been said that those are two sides of the same coin, faith and repentance. Uh, on the one side, repentance is confessing and turning from our sin, towards God, and on the other side, um, it's having faith in Jesus Christ, you know, for the forgiveness of sin. And so this is really, these words are, are designed to just be a description of, of the gospel. Um, and, and I love, I read this quote recently, some of you have seen it, I put it out somewhere, uh, by Rosaria Butterfield, and she says, you cannot bypass repentance to get to grace. Um, it's along the path, right? Uh, because we all want grace, we all uh, want it, but, but what we learn is that God grants us humility to repent in the process of granting us uh, grace through faith for forgiveness from our sin. Okay, uh, so let's look at this next section, the next six verses, starting in verse 22. Uh, I'll read them. You can follow along if you'd like. Uh, and now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you in this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. 
And so in verse 22, we learn that Paul is going to Jerusalem. Uh, we don't know why he's going, but we do know it's going to be a dangerous journey. Uh, and again, we see that Paul is uniquely uh, in this position as an apostle. And so he receives this direct revelation from the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the Holy Spirit's telling him, you know, that you're going to face time in prison and afflictions wherever you go. And yet he's going to get on this boat. Um, you know, afflictions and imprisonment. That's like the worst fortune cookie ever. Um, I think as Americans, you know, we, we become kind of wired to cancel in this moment. Uh, suppose I, I told you, you know, we, we've got a mission trip uh, as a church, and, you know, it's going to last for a year, and we're looking for one of you to go on this trip. <clears throat> and you might ask, well, well, what will we be doing? Uh, that's a great question, good question. Uh, but I tell you, well, <clears throat> we're only sure of this so far. It's going to be painful. Uh, people will try to kill you. Uh, and you're going to spend a lot of time in real, you know, sketchy Middle Eastern prisons. Uh, but you are going to have the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. So who's in? <clears throat> I mean, I, mean I, did, I just get the feeling that I might even be the first one to be shouting out, Not it! Um, that doesn't appeal to us. I mean, think about that really. I mean, would you, would you really consider that trip? <clears throat> and, and I'll ask, why not? Why wouldn't we consider that trip? I think the answer is here in the text. I mean, look at verse 24. Um, I think we consider our, our life as valuable and precious. And that sounds weird. I mean, um, we consider our life as valuable and precious. And that's the reason we, we wouldn't take that trip. Um, and, and verse 24 tells us Paul's mindset, doesn't it? It says, I mean, listen to this. I'll read it along. You can follow along if you want. It says, <clears throat> I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Most of the time, we forget about eternity because it's, overshadowed by the here and, and the now, the moment by moment. We have what, uh, what Paul Tripp calls eternity amnesia. We just forget it exists. Uh, and yet there's, there is nothing more certain in the world than the fact that this life is temporary and life and, de and death is forever. And of course, by, by death, I mean this life ends while eternity goes on forever and, and ever and ever. Uh, and Paul's point here is that there, there's something more important than his life. Namely, ministry is more important than his life. Now that, that sounds really strange when you hear that, doesn't it? Um, you probably already have objections in your mind. You know, uh, you might be thinking, you, you can't really be saying that ministry is more important than my spouse or my family or my children, right? Well, kind of. Um, but, but no, I'm not really, because, because your spouse, your family, your children are your ministry. Um, we've got to stop thinking about ministry as this professional thing, right? Uh, you see, ministry, it's, it's not just what pastors do, it's what pastors and all Christians do. In fact, Ephesians 4.12 tells us that the role of the shepherd and, and then the teacher is this, to equip the saints, that's Christians, to the work of ministry and building up of the body of Christ. Uh, and, and you read that and you see it's not, it's not the pastors, the elders necessarily doing the ministry. They're equipping for ministry 
and certainly also doing ministry. And so then, you know, we want to live and, and to speak with the goal of seeing people come to have faith in Jesus, but also see people endlessly just grow in their faith, right? Uh, and so, yes, your ministry is more important than your life. It really is. But understand that ministry includes and begins with those that you are closest to. And so then Paul was, was not foolish, right? He didn't have this, this death wish. He, you know, but, but his priority in life was not to keep his life going. His priority in life was really this, this mission of God. And, and we have one life to live. One life to live. And we've got to live it well. Uh, you remember Paul's famous quote uh, from Philippians 1.21? It, it's my single favorite verse in all of Scripture. Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul understands that his life has been purchased on the cross by Jesus. And so he's more than willing to pour it out for the sake of the gospel. And he understands that his life is, is most valuable not to himself, but in the service of, of, his, of his Lord. Um, last week I was, I was jogging. It's finally gotten warm enough that I can do it. Um, Runkeeper thinks it's run, or walking. I barely qualify as jogging. But I, I was jogging through Sunset Cemetery, and, and as I passed grave after grave, it, it just hit me. One day I will be in the ground just like they are in the ground, uh, and either the gospel is, is fake and nothing matters at all, or Jesus is real and the gospel is true, and, and this truth is the only thing that matters, and so it should be shaping everything else in my life and not the other way around. And so then what, what is Paul's goal here? Right? What's his goal? He says in verse 24, If only I may finish my course. <clears throat> First thing to note here is he says, finish the course, not win the race. Uh, I mentioned I was at NASCAR last night, and, and it was awesome. But these drivers would, would absolutely destroy each other. They would all sell each other down the river to win this race. Uh, that was their mentality. Not a single one of them beginning this race would be satisfied to just finish it. Like, 43rd, I win. Uh, you know, that's not the way they work. And so let me be very clear. The Christian life is not a race to be won, but merely a race to be run. And we don't like that, right? I'm the same as you. I, I watch these kid sports. Someone needs a blue ribbon. Uh, someone has to win that. That's not what we're talking about here, right? Um, we're not in competition against other Christians or other churches or other Christian ministries. We're not. Uh, and the second thing I want us to see here is that the goal is to finish. Uh, I was at our, children, our children's uh, field day this last week up at their school, uh, and they made this track. They just got out with chalk or paint, I guess it is, on the, on the grass, and they painted this track. And, and then there was this one line that wasn't real far, and it was for kindergartens. And then further down the way, oh, uh, you know, a ways, was another line, and that was for the older kids that were going to run early in the morning. And, and during one of these second grade races, their teacher, Mr. Perez, kept shouting, you got to run all the, way to the all the way to the cone. Don't stop at the line. Don't stop at the line. And over and over again, these kids were getting to this line and just collapsing on the ground because they'd run, what, like 30 feet? Um, <clears throat> and, and just thinking it, it was, it was over. And, and so they're laying there on the ground, and he's just shouting, you know, all the way to the cone, all the way to the cone. And, and that's what we're seeing here, right? Um, I'm concerned that at times we might falsely identify that, that line, right, of completing. Um, something like receiving faith, you know, coming 
uh, to faith in Christ, that that's the line, and then we're done. My sin is forgiven. My, my salvation is secure in Christ. I have completed the course. But that's, that's not the finish line. Uh, not of the Christian life. Because you look at how Paul defines the course at the end of verse 24. He, he defines it as to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It ain't easy, but, it, but it's simple, right? Uh, so you want to know what you can do in life that, that matters? You, you want purpose beyond hashtags and building your own brand? Uh, there it is, right there. Verse, end of verse 25, testify to the gospel, the grace of God, meaning that we give an honest report to the grace of God working in our life with the full knowledge that it's not our job to save people. God doesn't need our help for that. But he has called us to share this good news that we have received, to simply give an honest report of the grace that we've received. And so then in verse 26 and 27, we see that word again, right? Testify. Um, this time he's saying that he's innocent of, of the blood uh, of these men and, and of the church. And, and, and he's saying this because he's done what he's been called to do. He has indeed testified to them. He has um, given them full counsel. That he did not shrink from declaring, there's the phrase there, the whole counsel of God. He didn't avoid difficult decisions. He didn't try to, to fit in with the surrounding culture when it went against God's word. And I, I mentioned this last week, but, but this is why we overwhelmingly preach through a book of the Bible, right? We could probably make better graphics and make it a little more entertaining if we did it otherwise. But uh, we do this so that we will declare to you the whole counsel of God, not just certain parts of it over and over again. And so God willing, we will eventually preach through all 66 books of the Bible. Yes, there's 66, which is weird when you think about that number. Um, and we'll go through them all. We're going to, God willing, spend some strange times in Leviticus scratching our head. Uh, we're going to, we're going to, you know, get into some awkward details in Song of Solomon. Uh, we'll have Travis preach that book. <laughs> and through it all, um, you know, we wish to be absolutely clear about the gospel, that everyone who has ever been to a service here would know the gospel on some level, right? Some explanation of the gospel, not in some memorized form, but some explanation of you're a sinner and you need Christ and you come to him by faith. Uh, you know, that's why every week in the, in the Lord's Supper, we hear the gospel. Hopefully you're hearing it in the preaching and you're seeing it in the liturgy and various other aspects as well, uh, the music, other things. So, uh, so then, we always declare the truth, which is, I need, you need, all of us need to be made clean. And the only way that we are made clean uh, is, is for our faith to be in Jesus Christ who makes us clean. All right, so let's move on. Verses 28 through 35, uh, Paul's still speaking. This is one ongoing speech. Uh, it is the only speech recorded directly to Christians here. Uh, but listen, here he keeps going. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the, inherit the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. 
You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. So this past week, maybe the week before, my kids asked me, uh, what is the biggest denomination, like the biggest money in circulation? Uh, dollar bills. And, and we looked it up. And at one point in, in history in the United States, there was actually a $10,000 bill that you could, you could put in your pocket. Um, I guess you could you know, pay your tuition or part of your tuition with that bill. Um, and, and that's huge. Currently, right now, today, there is nothing larger than a $100 bill. If you have one, it's out of circulation, and it's just hold on to it. Um, and, and I tell you this uh, as, a, as a point of reference, that there is no larger currency in, in the history of history than God's own blood. And when your sin was paid for, what was handed over, that payment, was his blood. That's huge. And did you see the statement here as well of Christ's divinity? He writes, Take care of the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. It was Jesus' blood being referred to as God's blood here. Just another reminder to us, Jesus is, is God. Now, remember here that he's, he's speaking to the elders. And, and we see the word overseer in this section. He said, uh, which is just another term. It means elder, the same office. And, and he's warning them to be very careful that they're not led astray and that those under their care are not led astray. You see, the, the elders of the church must remain faithful, steadfast, uh, in the faith, and they're walking with the Lord. Uh, the Scottish pastor, Robert M. Apostrophe Cheney, I have no idea how a Scottish person would pronounce that, M. Cheney, something like that. Um, anyway, he has this quote, and it's come to my mind very often, uh, and he says this, he says, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. My people's greatest need is my personal holiness. But, you know, of, of course he knows that we need Christ's righteousness. Of course he knows that we need God's forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and what he means when he says this, though, is that what his congregation needs primarily from the elders of the church is for them to be truly walking with Christ. I mean, to the, the same point, uh, A.W. Tozer, one of my uh, favorite authors, he, he says later in his life, he says, Do you know who gave me the most trouble? Do you know who I prayed for most in my pastoral work? Myself. Not because he was, you know, the most important, but because he knew his own struggles. And we're seeing here that the elders are called to shepherd, but they're also called first and foremost to be sheep themselves. They must daily learn to follow and to find rest in the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And so then, uh, the elders here have been instructed to keep watch over themselves, and they've been told to provide for those under their care, and finally they are warned that there are enemies who will come in and seek to devour those in the church. And some of these wolves are even going to seem like fellow sheep uh, until they begin to encourage others to, to doubt and other such things. And so, <clears throat> so then the warning that we've just seen is, is what leads us to verse 32, where, where Paul makes this commendation. You know, he commends them. He says, I commend you to God in the word of his grace, meaning don't wander away. Stay close to God through his word. Make God's word your ruler. And that works no matter how you understand the word ruler in that sentence, right? 
Um, but here's how I mean it. I mean it as a measuring tool because you and I can, can both look at a, a board and, and a piece of wood and, and guess how long it is. Some of you could probably guess better than me. Um, but, but we might have an idea of, of how long it is. And um, the truth is, though, we can't really trust our sights. We can't trust our feelings in that. What can we trust? We can trust a, a ruler. If it gets longer, we call it a measuring tape, which is just a really big ruler. Um, and, and for us, that's the word of God. That's, that's the ruler. And, and, and it comes like this, that we can't trust our feelings. We can't really trust just general ideas. We can't trust, you know, cultural statements that come from the outside. But we can trust God's word. And, and so he's commending us to it. And there is great freedom in this. Because even when scripture says things that we might, like, might initially disappoint us, the truth is it's, it's absolutely grace for us because it has our good and, and really it has our eternal good in focus. Um, and that's why the, the word of God is one of those things that we should be preaching to ourselves. Uh, which is very different than just, just reading your Bible, right? You can get out in the morning and just mindlessly through reading stuff and, and close it and be like, done, check that off. Um, <clears throat> but just like it's not real helpful to simply know that eating vegetables is good for you, um, you know, that's not real helpful in and of itself. You have to actually put that information into practice and, and take the vegetables and stick them in your mouth, right? That's what it actually becomes profitable for you. Um, and, and, and so then you have to kind of remind yourself if you're at a party and there's a veggie tray here and a donut tray, which I don't know if they exist, but they should, a donut tray right here, like, that's the moment when you, you kind of would have to preach to yourself this, this general information, right? Um, this is healthier. This tastes better. This is better. You know, and, and there's that preaching to yourself. No, this is what you need. This is good for you. And, and so then we preach to ourselves God's, God's word of grace. And when we do it, we're encouraging this, this active thinking according to the truth of the gospel. And so we're actually making decisions according to the truth, not just according to what we're feeling at that moment. And this can help us when we, when we fight sin, and, and this can help us when we need encouragement in our, our lives. You know, uh, uh, for instance, some days you just wake up moody. Some of we do. Um, or maybe we encounter someone in our day, and we're, and, and we're quick to blame them, right? I'm grumpy because of her. She has made me grumpy. We're quick to blame people for this, and, uh, and, and we know better than this, right? Like, they made you grumpy? Like, you really couldn't stop this. They, they physically made you grumpy. And, and, and like I said, we know better than this. This, this is the time where, where we preach to ourselves the gospel. Something like, um, Brian, you know that Jesus died for you when you were a sinner. And you know that you have been forgiven so much. You know that God has called you to love your enemies, even this grumpy-making person. And so don't get selfish. And that's that moment when you say, you know, I, I know it's not about me. I know it's not about my comfort or my happiness. And God has called me um, to respond now with love, not with bitterness. You know, so you're preaching to yourself. And Lord, give me strength for this moment. Give me strength for this moment. Uh, something like that. There's a million different applications of that. And so um, let me, we're getting close to the end here. Verse 33. Paul makes clear that he never was pursuing money. He wants them to know there was no ulterior motives for his time there. Uh, in fact, he reminds them that he's tried to model for them that there are certain benefits that come from hard work. Namely, that we can help the weak. Right? We read that. Sounds like socialism. Um, 
It's not. It's not socialism because it's encouraging you uh, as an individual to work hard, and it's also encouraging you as an individual to willingly and generously give of what you have worked hard to have. That's very different than uh, it being taken from you and then distributed. But, but don't lose sight of that. That's kind of the thing we go to when we, we want to get out of this, right? Um, we know what he's saying here. Do, do you work hard, right? That's one of the questions. Do you work hard not only for yourself, but so you can help the weak? Um, and so then these words of Jesus would be of absolutely no profit if we, if we didn't ask ourselves these questions. Have I worked hard? And, and that's a good question. Even if your work doesn't provide a paycheck, like uh, caring for, for the home or volunteering somewhere or going to school, things of that nature. Uh, and the other question is, how have I helped the weak? And, and I warn us, be careful you don't just sidestep this by translating weak to, to lazy, right? That's what we like to do. No one's asking you to help the lazy, but we've got to answer the question that's actually, actually here, right? How have we helped the weak? And if I start suggesting examples, it's going to feel like a guilt fest. Um, and I don't think that's profitable for us. And so I'm just going to leave you with that, that question. You know, how have you helped the weak? Uh, and, and then we'll point you to this, this quote by Jesus in verse 35, um, which there's something strange here. Paul says to remember the words Jesus of Jesus. And, and then he quotes this. He says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Who knows what gospel that's from? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, maybe an Acts. Where's it from, right? If you know it, shout it out. Beautiful. Because it's in none of them. This is the only place it's recorded, and yet here he is telling them to remember these words. You know, I think sometimes we forget that Jesus did things and said things that were not written down in Scripture. We don't have it all here in, 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 in Scripture. Uh, in fact, the very last verse of the Gospel of John uh, says, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. But these words were written because it's for the church, right? And, and they were written down, and so we must ask ourselves, do we believe Jesus when he says this? When he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, do you honestly believe that you'll really get more joy and more happiness from, from giving of all types, not just financially, um, than you will from, from receiving. And, and if we do, then may our life and your life and my life prove that to be true. Um, here's the deal. Generosity is a powerful testimony to the satisfaction that we have in Christ. Powerful. And so this, this speech of his then comes to an end. That's the end of Paul's speech, verse 36 uh, we'll finish it up. It says here, uh, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. They knelt down and they prayed and they wept. That's tears, right? Um, we get to weep a lot in this town. There's a transient nature. Uh, we have to say goodbye to so many wonderful families and students. And every time I, I hear of one of you in the Army have received orders to, to go elsewhere, or, or one of you college students have graduated and will be leaving us, uh, I hate you and I feel abandoned. No. Um, but there is, you kind of just go in this denial, you know. It's just, you know, that's the first stage of something, I think. 
um, you go into this stage of denial and you're just hoping it's not so. You know, it's just, it's sad, but, but here's the thing. We're talking about this week. In the church, it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing because we, we, we feel the sadness, but there's also this future expectation of, of being reunited. And, and I don't just mean on Facebook. I mean, like, for real, in eternity, in actual presence together. And so, um, you know, that's part of this, even with the, the transient nature, why, why we make these friendships and these, these you know, these church closeness, um, because we know we'll be reunited for all of eternity. Um, and they, they know that, and yet it's a terribly sad moment. They, they hugged Paul and they kissed him. That's normal in their culture. Don't think any weird there. Uh, and they walked him to his ship and off he goes. And that's the last time um, they're going to see him. And so we've covered a lot in this, this little section. Uh, let me try to summarize in, in two things here. First, uh, it's a plea for them to stay close to their Savior, Jesus, by being saturated in the Word of God and by living in this covenant community, which is the church body. Uh, and the second thing, it's a reminder that the Great Commission will go forward even without Paul. They're so dependent on him at this point. But the Great Commission will go forward without Paul as they testify to the grace of God found in Jesus Christ. And they, they give an honest assessment, right? They speak an honest truth. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, it seems life is a series of hellos and goodbyes, and uh, we certainly feel it here in Manhattan. And our, our prayer is that we might receive your word and the warnings as, as given by your servant Paul to the elders in Ephesus, uh, that we might be bold to, to speak truth, even when truth is strange, uh, or when we anticipate it to be rejected. Uh, that you would teach us to be generous to others, even motivated to be so by blessedness, um, the joy that you tell us will come from it. Uh, Lord, may we, we go from here today with a, a renewed sense of a purpose for each and every day, knowing that uh, ministry is in the little moments. Uh, this calling for us to minister to each other and our, our family and our friends and our um, anyone. Um, it happens in, in little ways. Uh, and it's part of just kindness and, and generous and certainly part of speaking the words of truth, which are the gospel. Uh, make, us, make us bold and, and wise to do so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.